This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. This thing has dumpster fire written all over it. Now their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Thanks for the hot take, Ooh. Andrew. You should have your own show. Welcome to episode 131, South of the Podcast. Thanks for clicking the link. It's Andrew Zimmel, your host as always. And, you know, we're coming off of arguably the biggest World Series, one of the most monumental World Series in the last couple of years, to be completely honest with you. And we're going to get into all of that, why the Nationals won the World Series, why the Astros didn't, what this means for both those franchises and teams moving forward, all that juicy stuff. And then, of course, we have the games of the week uh, for college football and the NFL and a bunch of other great stuff. So, Stick with me. We're going to do the baseball stuff first, though. So, the Nationals win the World Series. They win Game 7 on Wednesday night, 7-2. to And this was, I think, more of the Nationals winning than the Astros losing. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I have been reverse jinxing the Astros from day one since the beginning of the season. I said, wow, this is a pretty good lineup. We knew Garrett Cole was going to be great. We knew that Justin Verlander was really good. When Grinky joined the team, that was a lights-out decision by him and his agent. Uh, and that the Astros, to be completely honest with you, kind of fell, I think, ass backwards into that situation, getting Grinky too. So they had three of the best, probably 15, 16 pitchers in the playoffs were on the Houston Astros. So they come into the playoffs uh, after winning 117 games, having a lineup that has Correa, Springer, Bregman, uh, 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 Jan, whatever his name is, the, the rookie guy, uh, his name escapes me right now. But the problem, the point was, was that they had a murderer's row lineup, and this is where I started having my issues when the Astros teams started getting compared to those 1927 Yankees teams, because now we have advanced analytics and we can like look at the numbers. And granted, this Astros team was legendary, was spectacular, and you didn't want to pitch to any of those guys. As a Yankees fan, I can tell you, every single time that any of those guys stepped up to the plate, any of those guys uh, joined the the team, got in the ballpark. I was worried. I was cold sweating the entire Astros-Yankees series because I knew that at any point, any of those guys can just jack one out of the park. And they did many times on the Yankees. So they get to the World Series and they play the Nationals. And it was the first time uh, in my life that I thought, this is it. This is It's game over. Because I, I barely remember... I was about 10. I barely remember the Red Sox and uh, Rockies series from 07. And I... Kind of remembered it, kind of didn't. It didn't really register with me, that type of, uh, that, that World Series. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, a lot of people remember it. I, I don't remember a lot from that. Uh, and then this World Series, it felt very open and shut. Unlike years prior with the Dodgers and the uh, the Astros and the Dodgers and the Red Sox, I thought the Red Sox were going to win last year, but I knew the Dodgers had a really good team. I liked Kershaw. I, I thought that they were a legit, solid World Series team. But the Nationals, I didn't see that. I didn't see a team that was coming in with spectacular pitching. I didn't see a team that had a bunch of really hot bats, which in the World Series, I was proven to be wrong. I was proven to be incorrect in that uh, take. They had hot bats. The bats were super hot. Uh, They had great pitching. Strasburg looked like a menace every time he stepped on the field, and that's why he won the uh, World Series MVP, the first, first overall pick ever to win the World Series MVP. Like I just want to remind people about that. And we're going to get into that in a second too. But I looked at this team with the or the the Nationals, and they had they hit at every point, every checkpoint that you want to make for a legendary you know team. Not not a team, not a dynasty team, but like for just a snapshot moment for a team. 
This team had everything you want. You want the old guy getting his ring? Well, you got Ryan Zimmerman. You want the young pitcher who's had his ups and downs and who people thought was done? We got Steven Strasburg. You want just the madman who baseball fans love, a pitcher who's a little bit, got a couple screws loose. Okay, well, you got Scherzer. You want a young face of baseball coming up now that Trout and Bryce Harper have both proven not to be able to win games. Uh, they're, they're great statistical hitters, but they're not able to play on the biggest stage. We got Juan Soto. And if you haven't heard, he's 21 years old. My point is, is that everything that you wanted from this Nationals team and anything that you could have asked for from this Nationals team, you got it in this World Series. And for Astros fans who are tuning in and listening, for Astros fans who are very sad still, I know a lot of them were more sad on Thursday, but for those fans that are still sad going forward, this isn't going to make it any better. Okay, I'm not gonna. Nothing I'm going to say is going to make you feel better uh, because. To me, this was the biggest giveaway, I want to say, since Dave Roberts, every single time he has to make a decision for the Dodgers. Okay, The, the Astros, in my opinion, they had games 6 and 7 at home. They couldn't win either one of those games. And the panic level, I think, should have been high when they weren't able to win games 1 or 2 at home to start the series. Now, they go to D.C., they win three games in Nationals Park, and I understand how there would be a sense of complacency. I would understand that how a lot of fans would be okay with the, where the series was coming back to Houston being 3-2. I get that. But having games 6 and 7 at home and losing both of them is a magnificent, a monstrous disappointment, if you ask me. Because when you look at the, the Astros, when you look at this team, the way it was built – uh, the, the way that this runs going. And I've told you guys before, I've said it, I've hammered it 100,000 times now on this podcast. I've told you that championship windows close a lot quicker than I think people want to admit. And I said that this Astros window, when they won it in 2017, I said this is probably a five-year window in a lot of fans. In the front office's mind, I think they think that this is a five-year window and that they're going to win most of their titles in the next five years. So 2017 is a flashpoint. Five years from now, they're going to try to win at least three or four rings. Well, they don't make the World Series last year. That's fine. You get the excuse for the Boston Red Sox being historically great and Chris Sale and David Price and that entire lineup just being lights out. So you get a pass. Baseball fans, historians, we're going to give you a pass on that one. Then this year, you come in and you face Strasburg and Scherzer. And a Nationals team, if we're being completely honest here, they do not have the name power. They do not have the firepower that this Astros lineup did. And you let it get away. You you shit the bed, to be completely honest. For layman's terms, that's what happened. And now you look at it, and I told you guys, I don't think this is a five-year window. I think this is a three-year window. So they won in 2017. We're looking at 2020 now. I think that next year, especially because we're going to get into this in a second, what this does for the Astros. But Garrett Cole is going to be a real big factor, I think, moving forward for this team and where this team goes. Because if you can't pay David or Garrett Cole, if you can't go get him to resign in Houston for a long-term deal, Verlander's a year older. You don't know how much more Granky has in the tank. You don't know what this bullpen's going to look like a year from now. You need to get Garrett Cole. But first, I want to talk about Steven Strasburg because this is the first player in my life who has, I've gotten to see the beginning, the middle, and the end of his career. And this isn't the end of his career. The World Series, he's not going to walk off the field and retire. But I remember him being the number one overall pick 
for the Nationals. I remember the Nationals being a joke of an organization. I remember everybody making fun of them. But I also remember Steven Strasburg being, in a lot of people's minds, the next great pitcher. And I remember his opening days. I remember what he did against the Pirates. I remember uh, his rookie card being a keepsake and people sold it for hundreds of thousands of dollars. All of that, the hype, and then him him having arm issues, and then him having Tommy John, and then him having all these other these setbacks. And you, you saw him on the mound in the World Series. And this might be the for, for a lot of baseball fans or a lot of fans of sports who kind of check in and check out with baseball. Because I, I think a lot of people do that. I, I do it with hockey. I'll be the first to admit it. That I will keep up with a couple storylines. I'll keep up with what Crosby's doing. I'll keep up with what Ovichkin's doing. I'll keep up with what the Blackhawks or the Kings are doing or the Golden Knights. Uh, but then I'm going to check out for a couple weeks. And when I come back, it might be the Stanley Cup Finals. The next time I care about this team, the next time I, I, I have any inclination to care about hockey is going to be later. So for a lot of people, I think they checked out when Strasburg was injured, when the Nationals weren't making the playoffs, when the Nationals were underachieving and not winning the NL East. I think that's when people started not caring as much about what the Nationals were doing. I don't think they cared as much what Strasburg was doing. So for for me, at least, to see him on the mound and do what he was doing in this World Series, to me, this is a top five sports moment. Uh, for the city of D.C. But for me, I, this is a moment I'm always going to remember. This, this is the first number one overall pick to win a World Series MVP, so that's a really big deal in my opinion. But also, this is a kid who I think everybody but the organization and the city of D.C. turned their back on. And I know we saw the troll uh, Trump tweet from like 2012 when he was talking about when Strasburg leaves to get more money. And, you know, that was a take I think a lot of people had in 2012. But you're looking at this guy and the resiliency he's had and just where he is right now in his career and what he's been able to do and be able to accomplish. And now he's a world series champion. I love every single minute of it. And Ryan Zimmerman is another great one because I remember when he was in the prime of his career in the early two thousands or early 2010s, I should say. And this decade of just sticking with the nationals, even when Bryce Harper wasn't doing what he needed to be doing to win them games when they were underachieving in the, the Octobers and the Septembers, for him to get his World Series ring, that means a lot to me too. Because he's another guy, and I, we don't talk about it enough in sports because of how things have changed because of player movement and players moving to different cities and ownership groups kind of screwing over some players. We don't, we don't talk about a the, the, the player and the city anymore and how Andrew McCutcheon in Pittsburgh will forever be an icon. Ryan Zimmerman in D.C., I think forever people will open the door and buy him lunch wherever he goes in the city of D.C. Those type of relationships, I love. I love every minute of it. The other thing is, too, that now every single pitcher, or starting pitcher, I should say, on that 2014 Tigers team, the Detroit Tigers, the nemesis of the Minnesota Twins, uh, now they all have rings, too. Now that... uh, uh, Scherzer and Verlander and all those guys now are World Series champions. So I, I wanted to throw that tidbit out there. The other thing is, too, Juan Soto, who became a meme because Joe Buck continually told everybody he was 21 years old. I get it. We'll never have to discuss this ever again. This will never come up on the podcast again. But I thought it was really big. I thought this was a sneaky big moment. And nobody's going to talk about it now, but in 20 years, people might mention it because 
this was maybe a coming out party, and I hope it was. I hope that Juan Soto, having such a big playoff season that he did from, you know, the AL, or I'm sorry, the NL wild card until this point, being kind of the face of the Nationals on a team that overachieved, to be completely honest with you, wins the World Series in seven games, is able to win two games back-to-back in Houston, a tough place to play. I love this guy, and I'm hoping going forward that he is the man <clears throat> for the Nationals. I hope this is a a setup for him to have a great career, and maybe now we have another young face of baseball. Maybe now the Nationals can make another big run in the playoffs, and Juan Soto continues to play really hard, and we get another young player who we can kind of root around. Because right now, if you're looking at it, Bregman, Aaron Judge, Trout maybe, you get like three guys who, if you threw their face on a poster, I might recognize. Hopefully Juan Soto is the next guy. He seemed to have a really nice smile. Uh, I think that, and you might give me some crap here, but I really do think that that plays a part. I think that having a face, having a you know aura, just being a friendly type of looking dude, I think that's going to help him moving forward too. All right, let's talk about where the... Astros go for here and then we'll get into my football picks so what the Astros need to do from here is they need to re-sign Garrett Cole there's no way that this team currently constructed makes any sort of run without Garrett Cole as the starting pitcher Verlander I think has a year a year and a half left of being a dominant guy and I know that that's not a super great take uh, because everybody's having that take right now, but that's kind of what I'm seeing. Garrett Cole needs to stay a Houston Astro. Here's the second thing they need to do. They need to figure out what went wrong hitting-wise. Why? And I get it. Bregman had a family tragedy, but there's seven other, eight other guys on this lineup who weren't hitting the ball the way they needed to. And I don't think the Astros are done. I know I said earlier that I think the dynasty, this dynastic run they're on, is going to come to a close. I think that they're not done being a good baseball team. And there's a big difference to me between being a good baseball team and a World Series contending baseball team. I think the Astros are going to make the playoffs next year. Their division is poo-poo. They're fine in that regard. But I don't know if the Yankees are able to get a starting pitcher and kind of re-up that bullpen, if some of these other teams... The Rays looked really good this year. If they're able to repeat some of that success, if the Red Sox are able to take some of that money and either give it to Mookie Betts and sign him or go get a better starting pitching staff, that's another good one. There's a lot of great baseball teams right now. And coming off the World Series, I want to sit and I just want to soak up the Nationals winning. I don't want to move on too fast from what they were able to accomplish. But at the same time, I don't know. The Astros have big decisions to make going forward. And I don't think anybody in the organization, I don't think anybody who covers the team is going to tell you any different. That they have big decisions to make moving forward, and if they make the wrong one, if they misstep, it's going to be a long way back down to the bottom. From World Series champions to Lastros again. I don't see that happening, but I could could see a world where it happens. Right. All right, let's talk about football. So my two college football picks this week. Number eight, UGA, number six, Florida. So UGA, Georgia is six and a half point favorites. I like Georgia in this game. We're not going to get into it a lot, but I think that this is a this game pretty much is the SEC eating themselves. Because if Florida beats Georgia, then Florida will probably be propelled into the top five. And then you look at what LSU and Alabama do next week. You are pretty much setting yourself up with two SEC teams in the top five. 
the winner of that game, the SEC championship game, will make the playoffs. So that's where I'm kind of looking at right now. If Georgia beats Florida, then the SEC will only get one team in, and that relies on LSU winning out or Alabama winning out. Those two teams, whoever beats the other one, is that, that team now has to win out the rest of the season. So number 15, SMU, number 24, Memphis. And this pick is going to shock a lot of people, especially people who listen to the bottom line with Chip Brown. He's my guy, but I like Memphis in this game. And I'm going to tell you why. Memphis is not only playing at home. They're six-point favorites at home. And I think SMU, the, the hype around this team, I get Sonny Dykes, I get Shane Bouchelle, but there's a lot of guys on this team, especially on the defensive side, who have never had this type of media pressure, have never had this type of coverage before. And this is a this is something that other schools, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world, they're able to deal with because those players are covered like they're superstars 24-7, 365. But there's a lot of guys on this SMU defense, a lot of guys... Uh, secondary guys on this SMU defense, not the first teamers, the second team guys, who have never been in a situation before where college game day cares as much about them. There's a lot of guys who have never, and I think that being a home game for Memphis gives them a lot of uh, chance to win this game. I like Memphis in this game. I think they upset number 15 SMU, and I think this is the last chance for, because if SMU would have won out, there's a good chance to get a uh, New Year's Six Bowl. I think if Memphis beats these guys, it's... uh, it's back to being a December bowl game for the Mustangs. All right, let's talk football. NFL football. Minnesota and Kansas. That's my pick. Uh, Tennessee and Carolina is the other one. So Minnesota versus Kansas. They have to go to up to Arrowhead. This game has a lot of dimensions to it, in my opinion. Number one is the Vikings are super hot right now. They're 6-2. and two. Kirk Cousins just won the player of the month for the NFC. Now, if you would have told me that in September, if you would have said Kirk Cousins is going to be the player of October, I would have said you're crazy because – the way he was playing, I thought this Vikings team was going to be 4-12. and And I said it before, and I'll say it again, that I, I had no hope in Kirk Cousins. Somehow, someway, they've been able to revitalize the running game with Delvin Cook. Delvin Cook is another guy we're going to get into in a second, but he's looking like a top five running back in, the, in football. That has given them more of an option to throw the ball down the field. I love the way they've been able to get Diggs and Thielen involved. Now, Thielen is questionable for this game. I think that he's going to play. I would be shocked if he didn't play in this game. But at the same time, if in a world where he doesn't play, this is going to be a tough game for Diggs. It's going to be a tough game for Cousins. For the Kansas City Chiefs, Patty Mahomes is not 100%. He's playing this game. I kind of don't know why because I feel like the winner of the AFC West needs to win 10 games. The Chiefs are already at that doorstep, I think, of being the team that's going to get the division. So the only thing that they're really playing for is home field in the playoffs at this point. And I know that we're at the halfway point, so what really there, there's a lot there to kind of break down, but I don't know why exactly the Chiefs are playing Patrick Mahomes in this game, especially when the Vikings' defense has been known to rough up quarterbacks. They roughed up Aaron Rodgers a few years ago. They roughed up Trubisky earlier this year. I think they're going to rough up Patty Mahomes. I don't know why you're playing your MVP quarterback in a game in November that doesn't, in the end game, really matter all that much. For The only thing that I can see is if it's seeding, but at the same time, I, I don't know why you play a guy. The other thing is, and then we'll go before we go into Delvin Cook, the other thing is this Sheep's defense. I'm not in love with Kansas City's defense, and I know that that's not a, a hot take or that, that's the, that's the normal take, but I'm I'm at the point now where I'm thinking that if they play a legit playoff team, if they play a legit offense, 
that they're going to give up a lot of points. Now, there's no money line or no spread from what I've found so far for me to gamble on this game. Now, maybe you find it before listening to this podcast. Maybe you're listening and you're looking it up as you as you listen. I have not found a good line or good spread that I'm willing to gamble on right now for the Vikings. That being said, I think that they're going to score a lot of points in this game. I think the Vikings are going to score at least 20, 21 points. That means the Chiefs' offense is going to have to score more, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do it against the Vikings' defense. That's what all I'm going to say on that regard. So, going on to Delvin Cook, this guy has been lights out, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm I never thought when he tore his ACL, I never thought that he was going to be able to get to the level that he's at, but he's been able to catch the ball better than a lot of running backs this season. He's been able to run a lot better than a lot of running backs this season. Now, a lot of people are going to say when Zeke is in the backfield, the defense knows to stack the box, and that's why he's not getting the rushing yards. That's not why that's why he's struggling so much this year. But I think that he has surpassed a lot of these guys. I think that if you looked at the best running backs in football right now, it's Christian McCaffrey, 100% number one. Who That's another game we're going to get to into a, in a second. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is number one. Delvin Cook, Saquon, and Zeke are all battling for that second and third spot. That's how good Delvin Cook has been. The Chiefs defense, I think, is going to give up a lot of a lot of yards in this game. Give me the Vikings against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I know that sounds like a... Uh, Sounds like a hot, like a hot take-ish. Sounds like I'm rooting for my home team, but I'm not. I'm telling you, I really think the Vikings have a legit chance to beat the Chiefs on Sunday. Tennessee at Carolina. Carolina's three and a half point favorites. Give me the Carolina Panthers. This is not going to be a three three and a half point game. There's a lot of things that go into this. Number one, Christian McCaffrey is a dark horse for MVP. I know Russell Wilson has been able to do what he's been able to do. I know that there is kind of a buzz for Brady or Rodgers. I think Christian McCaffrey right now is my pick. Because when Cam went down, everybody thought this is a team that was going to win four or five games, max. Kyle Allen has done a really good job. We're going to get into him in a second. But Christian McCaffrey has done an excellent job of putting this team on his back and carrying them offensively. Defensively, this defense looks so-so. I think that they'll be fine uh, against the Titans especially. That Titans offense is garbage. But Christian McCaffrey, man, watch him this Sunday. You're going to be impressed. I guarantee it. Uh, the winner of this game, or if if Kyle Allen wins this game, this is where I was getting to. Kyle Allen wins this game. Cam Newton is not going to play another snap for the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to tell you why. Because when you have the winning hand, when you got a guy that's doing what he needs to be doing, you don't go back. I 100% believe that the Tennessee Titans are going to do exactly what the 49ers did with Kaepernick and Alex Smith. And granted, that 49ers team was a lot better, but you can't move away from the hot hand. If you have a grid hand going and a card game, you're not going to pull your friend away. You're going to say, all right, let's play until you lose or play until you want to leave. And Kyle Allen doesn't want to leave. And the Carolina Panthers are looking more and more like a team that might slip in the playoffs if we're not careful in the NFC. That said, I don't know how much this game is going to matter in the long term because the Titans are so bad. I, I don't like the Titans at all in this game. Three and a half points, give them to me because I think they're going to win by a lot more than that. All right. That's going to do it for the show. Thank you again so much for listening. Thank you for clicking on the link. Uh, we have a new website out, too, and that I'm putting some of these podcasts up on. Uh, so they're going to be on iHeart, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's all it's all there. But I have a little professional website, too. So if you've got employers, send them that way. Uh, thank you so much again for clicking the link. This is it. Thanks. <laughs>